Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Bond from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. Today's passage is from Isaiah chapters 4, 5, and 6. These chapters are dense. They are deep. We're into the heart of prophecy, and we're going to just take from it as much as we can. We're going to always seek First, to find personal application, there's the Word of God is so powerful and it's so deep and it's so wide. And when we read, especially scriptures like this, you know, we, we want to read it from the, the standpoint of good students. We want to trace it back to where everything belongs and we want to try to figure out every little detail and we want to, you know, piece together all of the imagery and we want to do all this second to first just reading the word of God and letting it wash over me and let it minister something specifically to me. I don't want to be a person that steps out of the word each time and think I have a good understanding of what it would have meant to the original audience at the original time at which it was written in the context of Israel and their relationship to God. And that these, you know, I don't want to find out how they should have applied it and not find out how I should apply it. Certainly both are valuable and finding out how they apply it can help me apply it greater. But it's just a dis, it's just a disposition. It's a place. It, uh, it's a, it's a posture that every time we open the word of God, I want it to minister something to me. Um, more than I want to obtain the ability to minister it to other people well, if that makes sense. So for me as a preacher, a teacher, I when I read passages, sometimes I read it in a way of I obtain an understanding of how I would like to minister this message to someone else. And often when I sit in the Word, I try to refrain from finding that understanding first because my first place of sitting in the Word is to find where um, I can find application to my life first and foremost before I find out anything else. And so just just know that every time you open the Word and you're reading a few chapters at a, at a time, you don't have to understand every word of it. You don't have to to feel as though you could accurately teach it to other people. You don't have to feel like... Um, you know, you don't have to trace back every word and look back to the Hebrew and understand it where where the timeline is and all this. This is all good stuff, and it's and it's fun. It's fun to do, and um, it will it will enrich your time in the Word. But never let any of that replace the simple humility of remembering that this Word is still alive, and when I open it, I you know the shears of a razor open up. And I have to allow whatever the Lord wants to cut away from me to take place as I sit in the Word. And so, 
um, in in these chapters, chapters four and five are kind of unified, and then chapter six is probably one of the one of the most profound chapters in Scripture. But specifically, in the in the entire book of Isaiah, it's incredibly profound. And so, let me look at four and five for a second. Um, it, it completes a thought at the first part of chapter four, where it says, "And seven women shall take a hold of one man in that day, saying." We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. And um, that's kind of concluding on the, the the judgment that was coming for, for Judah and Jerusalem. Um, and so it's going to be so bad. There's going to be such a, a, a clearing out of all of the people, so much so through, you know, war that there's, there's not going to be enough men to marry and... So seven women are going to be fighting over one man and uh, in such a way where they're just, you know, desperate that they would take away their uh, their reproach or to, to be an unmarried, you know, old, you know, widow. And, you know, you, you just don't even, you know, think about that. But like, what what a problem would it be just that there's such a such a total wiping out of all of the men of a country so much so that. That women who um, are just so designed and blessed by the the for, by childbearing and the raising of children and having of a home and you know for them to essentially lose that ability totally due to the fact that there's only one man to every seven women you know and so it, it's just it's just another sign of how bad things were going to be as the Lord was wiping out everything. Um, there was, he was purging, uh, the, the, his people from their wickedness. And so then it, now it goes into some new text in chapter four, verse two. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land shall be pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be in a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. And so this is saying things are so wicked right now and the Lord is doing a fresh work and he's actually sending a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning, this burning spirit that's going to burn away everything that's sinful, everything that's dead, everything that's that's decaying, everything that's rotten. And then you think of it almost like an agricultural burning. After this whole field has been set ablaze, then there's going to be a, a new root to spring up, the root of Jesse. There's going to be this this new branch that springs up. And that's this is a prophecy for the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come. Jesus is going to come. And then there's going to be a greater manifestation of the presence of God than ever before. So he likens it to the cloud by day and the fire by night and the smoke. And he, he likens it to the shade from the heat and the refuge from the storm and the rain. And these are what we have in the access to 
the presence of God, our fire by day, our fire by night, our refuge, our very present help in time of need. This is what we have access to. So he, this is this is a just reminding us of hope to come, and then also it's it's should be uh, affirming to us that the Lord still does this work in us today, where He sends a spirit of burning to burn up the impurities of my life so that I can become more pure, so that I can experience a greater measure of his presence. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And so this this pattern, God's character is revealed here, but this isn't a character that he just, he just you know, uh, demonstrated upon his people one time. He's still demonstrating this upon his people today with baptism of fire and of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, that this is the work that was taking place in them. It's the work that's being taken place in us. And even though it hurts really bad sometimes and it's painful, um, from the, from the ashes uh, is uh, of what God has burned up. There's always beauty to spring forth by a newness of his spirit and, and what he's doing. And then, um, in verse 5, it says, Let me sing for my beloved my song concerning his vineyard. And then it begins to speak of this wonderful vineyard, basically. And the vineyard is described here basically as the people, like as us. Like we're the vineyard. And the Lord has cared for us and he's brought us up. and Or Israel in the original context, but us now. And yet as he's done all this, what grew up from the vineyard was not wine. It was actually, it says it was, not wine, I'm sorry, it was not grapes. It was actually, it says wild grapes. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And the context of wild grapes would have been um, poisonous berries, essentially. You know, so uh, God's cared for this vineyard and expected it to grow good fruit. And it's not even produced no fruit. It's actually produced bad fruit. And that was the way that they were at this time. It wasn't like they were not just uh, uh, complacent or stagnant. They were producing the exact opposite of the things of the Lord uh, by, by their wicked deeds. And so Basically, he says, what am I going to do? I'm going to remove its hedge, and it's going to be devoured. Okay. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. And so he's just saying, I'm going to totally wipe out this vineyard altogether because I've been so tender and cared for it so greatly, and yet it's not produced what it was supposed to produce, and it's actually producing wickedness. And so I'm going to totally knock it out. And then... Uh, continuing on into chapter five, it says, you know, woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field. Uh, it surely it says, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after a strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Uh, they have the lyre and harp, tambourine and flute and wine at their feast, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of their hands or see the work of his hands. Therefore, my people go into exile, which is slavery for lack of knowledge. And so it's just this pattern of as people and as we even still to this day see people living like this or even have all each individually been trapped into these same things is you get so lost in pursuing the things of this world 
and you forget all about regarding the deeds of the Lord, being obedient to Him, pursuing Him, seeking Him, and that place eventually will always result in slavery. And so that was the that was the journey that Israel had put themselves back on again, and so then um, it, it then goes in to say. The Lord of hosts is exalted in justice. The Holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. And it says, Then, then the lamb shall graze in their pastures, and nomads shall eat the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes, who say, Let him be quick. Let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near. Let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. And so it's just, it's just speaking of this, basically this, just this concept of like everyone that's pursuing the, the waste uh, of the, the the useless things of this world. They're just wasting away their lives. Woe to those people because everything that they're doing is pointless and it's all going to just be ruined and it's all going to be burnt up because it's not at all what the Lord has desired from His people. Yet, enlaced in all of this is the promise for those who are remaining faithful and those that are humble and though they because they're going to be lifted up but those who are lifting themselves up they're going to be humbled and those that are humbling themselves there's they're going to be exalted and these promises are still true to this day as you look around this world you see wicked men and women they're heroes at drinking and celebrate they're celebrating sin and you know all of these sort of things and some of us some of those have been us as well and you know the lord is calling his people into repentance from these things and he's even sending a spirit of burning to 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 light up the the fields where the bad fruits are growing so the good fruits can start growing he's doing that individually in each one of us and he's doing that and in entire nations so that the faithful remnant of the of the lord will remain and so that's what he was doing in, in these days as well. And so it's, it's, it's a dark time, and this would have been an incredibly unpopular message for Isaiah to carry. Just this understanding, or just this preaching to people of, hey, everything that you're doing right now is useless, and the Lord wants to, he's going to burn it all up, you know. And, uh, but for those people that are actually uh, turning towards him, they're going to experience a deeper level of his presence and his glory um, than than ever before, and so um, then he, they they basically says he, he's going to raise a signal for nations far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. And basically saying, you know, if you don't repent, I'm going to wipe you out. And so what's going to happen is the people from all over the nation are actually going to come and be drawn in, even just wicked nations, and they're going to trample upon um, everything that you have because it, it, it's 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 not it's no longer worthy of of being upheld. It's no longer a depiction of my glory. It's a dangerous thing for a, for a country to no longer reveal God's character because then at, at that point that country is always endangered of being of being devoured and set aflame and so that a new so that a new root could grow up. And I think that could be 
said for our country, I think we're in danger of that. I definitely wouldn't say we're one nation under God. But I would, all, I would also say that it's a dangerous thing on an individual level when our personal lives no longer bear the good fruits uh, of God, because then we're also in danger of, of, this, of this process of where God is going to allow for us to taste of the fruits of which we've sown, so to speak, so that he can grow. It's always in his kindness because he wants our lives to demonstrate his holiness and be a witness to other people. But when you have a life that's completely built upon the things that you've accomplished in your strengths, then you're you're building on sinking sand. This whole thing's going to collapse at some point because because God gets no glory in it, and it's all useless and it's worthless. And and so we need to be people that have a life that's completely bent towards the Father and letting Him grow these good things in us. And so um, and we need to remember that I'm His vineyard, right? He's not a hired hand in mine. So therefore I'm coming before him each day saying, Lord, what do you want to grow in me? What do you want to prune in me? What do you want to take out of me? I want to grow. I don't want to grow these bad fruits. I want to grow up these good fruits. And then Isaiah sees a vision in chapter six. And it's a powerful scene where it says that it was the year in which King Uzziah died. And King Uzziah was a righteous king, had a good life. And he stumbled at the end. He went into uh, went into the temple of God and uh, tried to take matters into his own hands there in a way that was just unworthy or unholy. He was struck with leprosy and he was isolated for the rest of his life until he died. And so it was kind of a sad death. And so it's that's kind of the place that he would have been at. Perhaps a sadness was in his heart. And uh, But he says, he saw the Lord sitting on a throne and he was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Uh, it's like an angelic creature. And it says, each had six wings. With two he covered his faith, face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And so this is this powerful passage that that prob- probably one of the most powerful passages that we're familiar with, at least in reading in the book of Isaiah. And so just a couple of things to notice in this. When he stands in the presence of God, the first thing that he's soberly aware of is, is his unholiness, right? And that's what the power of the presence of God always does for us. We may think we're right in our own sight, but when we get alone and we get in his courts and we get into his word, we get into his presence, we get into worship, into prayer, we get into uh, the midst of holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When we get into these these angelic celestial moments of our lives, it's always in those points uh, that the unholiness that exists within us, it's, it rises to the surface. And in those moments, um, 
we see so many people respond in the way that Isaiah does because it's this ultimate humility. But from that place of humility, the Lord wants to then make us holy, which means set apart. And that's what he does here by putting this burning coal uh, on on his lips, on his mouth. And it took away his sin and it took away his guilt and it had been atoned for and that's what we receive through jesus when we get when we when we're born again and when we're um when we're repenting of our sin we are able to become born again through through the blood of jesus and so uh, because he is laid out on the altar for us and then the response from this is the obedience of who will go uh, for us, and he says, "Here I am." And so, this this the kind of a three part action of what should just be constantly taking pre- place in our lives in the presence of God, which is the adoration of Him who is holy. Okay, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So there's this adoration of Him who is holy and greater than I am, that causes a humility in me because I'm exalting Him who is holy, and my unholiness is being revealed. And then secondly, there's a purification that is taking place in His presence where anything, I'm letting the fire of God, the burning coals, touch any part of me that's unclean and then make it clean. And then third, I'm being commissioned to go out from His presence and carry out with me an assignment, a message, a ministry, a word from the Lord. And so you see this is patterned by the way that Isaiah encounters the Lord here, and he exits that situation, and this really projects his ministry where he was going to say really difficult things to people who didn't want to hear it for all of his life, but he was commissioned by God to do so. And so just as we exit this today, and um, we 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 move further in uh, together next time into going deeper into Isaiah. Uh, let us just learn from these examples of just, Lord, I'm your vineyard, producing me the fruits that you want. Lord, keep me humble. I humble myself before you. I exalt you. Reveal anything in me that's unholy. Send a, a burning spirit to burn away the fields of wild grapes, the poisonous berries that have sprung forth in my life that, that don't reveal your glory, that, that are even a, a poison to other people that tasted them. Lord, burn away all of this. Lord, do it in me. Do it in our churches. Do it in our nation, God. And uh, let us then cultivate lives where we're constantly going before his presence again and again and again. And, and, um, even taking on the posture like the seraphim did, where they literally had two, two wings that covered their eyes from seeing God's glory because of the reverence they had for him. They had two, two uh, wings covering their feet because of perhaps their, their feet were uh, you know, representing unclean or even just uh, vulnerable parts. And then they had two uh, uh, wings that were actually carrying out the work. You know, let us even have that sort of a posture where we're devoting more of ourself to the reverence and adoration of God than we actually devote to the working of our hands. So let us be people who who are constantly um, uh, just devoted to exalting Him uh, in a greater proportion than the way that I'm doing anything else in my life. And so... Uh, Let's dwell upon that as we continue to go deeper in Isaiah.